Good morning. Whether you're joining us online, on public television, or here at the church, welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to a free and responsible search for truth, meaning, and beauty. I'm Reverend Chris Jimerson, co-lead minister here at the church. I am a pushing the sunset of middle-aged white male wearing a bright yellow stole. My pronouns are he, him. It is a joy to be with you today. I especially want to welcome you if you're new to the church, if you're joining us remotely, and you can, please say hello in the comments and let us know from where you're watching the service. Either way, we invite you to go to www.austinuu.org, click on Worship, and then the link to our online visitor form. We would love to get to know you just a little bit better. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person, and it's in that tradition that I invite you to greet the holy among us, either in the comments online or by turning to those around you here at the church. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. Our call to worship this morning is from James Baldwin. If one really wishes to know how justice is administered in a country, one does not question the policemen, the lawyers, the judges, or the protected members of the middle class. One goes to the unprotected, those precisely who need the law's protection most, and listens to their testimony. One of the things that binds First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin together as a religious community is that we have a common purpose. That common purpose is our mission. And I am pleased today that say that yesterday 14 new folks have joined us in living out that mission. The congregation wrote the mission together, we emblazoned it on our wall, and we say it together every Sunday so that we might more readily carry it in our hearts throughout the week. Let's do so now. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. Our reading today is from Howard Zinn. To be hopeful in bad times is not just foolishly romantic. It is based on the fact that human history is a history not only of cruelty, but also of compassion, sacrifice, courage, and kindness. What we choose to emphasize in this complex history will determine our lives. If we see only the worst... It destroys our capacity to do something. If we remember those times and places, and there are so many, where people have behaved magnificently, this gives us the energy to act, 
and at least the possibility of sending this spinning top of a world in a different direction. And if we do act in however small a way, we don't have to wait for some grand utopian future. The future is an infinite succession of presents. And to live now as we think human beings should live in defiance of all that is bad around us is itself a marvelous victory. This is the time in our service when we center ourselves together. We breathe together. And breathing together, sensing one another's loving presence even across virtual space, We follow our breath to a deeper place inside. A place of greater wisdom. A place of revolutionary love that moves us to work for justice in our world. That place where a spark of the divine resides within each of us. And breathing together, we enter into a time of sacred silence, remembering that we also hold sacred human sounds, including those of small children. Breathing in, breathing out, we now enter into that time of sacred silence together. I invite you now to light candles, if you're so moved, candles representing sorrow, joy, hope, remembrance, resilience, whatever you wish to honor during this time. As we light candles, please keep in your heart Wendy Arisman as we share her sorrow about the death of her mother on February 7. We also celebrate with Amy Bennett that she has completed the final round of chemotherapy. Holding these in our hearts, now let us enter into this meditative time of lighting candles, holding the meditative silence when our music comes to a close.
I want to share something with you. One. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask if your country is your country. Ask if your country belongs to your country folk. Ask if your country addicted to blood. Ask if your country addicted to forgetting. Ask if your country an oil and power fiend. Ask if your country shake at night, starving for bodies. If bodies mean your country get to keep on being your country in the same old way. Ask if your country is built on stolen land and stolen breath. Ask if democracy is a chain tight as skin around your neck. Ask if your comfort means that elsewhere someone is burying a daughter. Ask if your comfort means that round the corner a man is dead because a cop mistook his body for a gun. Ask Ask if your comfort mean broke schools and food deserts on the other side of town. Ask if your new apartment used to belong to someone who couldn't afford to look like you. Ask Ask yourself if all the things you're scared to admit are shovels slowly filling a brown boy's throat too. All lives don't matter the same as all lives. Some lives matter only to ourselves. Some lives matter only in they hood. Some lives matter of fact and some lives up for debate. All lives All lives matter to somebody, but what about this life of mine? Honey colored and black as it is, what my life means to you? Am I talking to you? Do you wish me justice or do you just wish I would just shut up already? That's Denez Smith, award-winning poet, writer, and performance artist who identifies as queer, non-binary, and HIV positive. It's part of their poem called Principles. If you get the chance, it's well worth watching the rest of their performance, which you can find on YouTube. Their words demand to be heard because Denez Smith isn't calling for incremental fixes to a country filled with so many systems of oppression and denial that we can no longer believe that those systems are broken. 
when year after year we witness the continued killing of unarmed BIPOC folks by law enforcement, when one out of every seven police interventions results in bodily injury, when we know that one out of every eight black person in the U.S. will be sent to prison, when year after year, despite both so-called liberal and so-called conservative interventions, inequities by race, gender and gender identity, sexual orientation, and more continue to persist in employment, income, wealth, housing, health care, education, food, and nutrition, well, just about every facet of life in the U.S., every system and sector in our society, when that happens, we have to face the reality that these systems are not broken. They're functioning exactly as they are intended. They are connecting more and more wealth and power within the control of fewer and fewer folks. And still, still, most of them white, most of them male, most of them heterosexual, most of them cis, most of them already born into power and wealth to begin with. That's the system. So Denez Smith is crying out not to repair America around the edges, but to replace our fundamental societal structures with something entirely new, something that lives up to the values of justice, liberty, and the potential for human dignity and fulfillment that we claim to hold. Here is more of what they have to say. I want to be a citizen of something new. I want a country for the immigrant hero. I want a country where joy is indigenous as the people. I want a country that keeps its word. I want to not be scared to drink the water. I want a country not trying to cure itself of me. I want a nation under a kinder God. I want justice the verb, not justice the dream. Denise Smith is talking about a revolution. My words, not theirs. Well, those of Tracy Chapman and the lyrics of her song we heard earlier. And so, and so if we are to make justice a verb, to do justice, as we say in our mission, if we are to tear down the systems of injustice that we have now and build new ones, build the beloved community, we need a revolution in our ways of thinking and being in our world. Folks as diverse as Brian Stevenson, social justice activist and law professor to faith activist, Reverend William Barber, provide what I think are at least four ways in which we can create that revolution. And the first, 
The first is to root our work for justice in a theology that moves and sustains us. Now, that word theologies can sometimes freak out some Unitarian Universalist you use for short because it can imply a creedal belief system involving a god or gods. But it doesn't have to involve those things. Reverend Dr. Elias Ortega of our UU Meadville Lombard Theological School describes how theology can be practices of being, thinking, and acting in the world that move us toward that which we hold most vital. For Unitarian Universalism, our theology grows out of traditions embracing the unity of all life and creation and a universal love that flows through our universe and our lives. Ours is a living, ever-evolving theology of collective liberation that values all people and beings, lifting up those of us who experience marginalization and inequity. It is a relational theology that recognizes that each of us can only reach for our fullest creative potential when all of us are able to do so. In the famous words of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. We need one another. The revolution, the beloved community can only become when it is co-created by us all. And such a theology moves us to the second way we might build a justice revolution. That's right. In the late 80s and early 90s, I was involved in nonprofit HIV-AIDS research, education, treatment, and human services, all greatly needed because so many people were suffering and dying from the disease. And even though I could see every day how much this charitable work was necessary, I started to grow more and more depressed and disillusioned as more and more people I had come to know and love died one right after the other. I remember at one point looking through my contact list and realizing that at least a third of the people in it had died of the disease. And so... I began to realize that only providing charitable support as much as it was needed was doing nothing, nothing to address the systemic racism and anti-LGBTQ bigotry that were blocking people from learning how to keep from getting the disease in the first place and accessing treatment once exposed. I began to see the complete lack of humanity in a healthcare system and drug development process that exists to worship the gods of profit at the expense of human life and well-being. 
And so I knew I had to get involved in activism and building new systems to replace those that were quite literally killing people. Research from Darren Walker of the Ford Foundation reveals that the vast majority of charity in the U.S. actually goes from the wealthy to the wealthy. The healthcare facilities, institutions of higher education, and the like that all serve mainly the very rich. And as I discovered with HIV AIDS, charity, wherein most often the powerful determine what and how to give to the less powerful, can frequently serve to uphold systems of inequity by alleviating just enough pressure to prevent the rebellion against them that might otherwise arise. As educator and philanthropic innovation researcher Lori Ariega Ariglia Andreasen says, charity is about helping people survive. Justice is about helping people thrive. A theology of collective liberation moves us beyond charitable compassion toward a revolutionary love that dismantles the unjust systems that create the need for charity in the first place. And this leads us to a third and corresponding way we can revolutionize how we do justice. A relational theology requires us to be in proximity with those whom we are trying to be in solidarity. Mother Teresa once said, it's fashionable to talk about the poor. It's not so fashionable to talk with them. We call for justice, yet we don't want the multifamily, low-cost housing project in our neighborhood. We prefer to drive across town to volunteer for the charity health clinic. And don't put that homeless shelter in the old hotel down the street from me. Unless we think this is a conservative versus liberal issue, research shows that liberal enclaves are some of the most segregated in the country. As our call to worship pointed out earlier, though, to change systems, we have to be in conversation with those who are most affected by those systems. And further, further, collective liberation theology calls us to follow their lead. In 2015, I joined a group of UUs from across the country in Selma, Alabama at the 50th anniversary commemoration of the March for Voting Rights across the Edmund Pettus Bridge. Several of the mostly white UUs there had to be told that no, they would not be at the front of the commemorative march across that bridge that the black folks who had organized the event and whose lives had, after all, been most affected by the history being remembered were perfectly capable of leading their own march. Here's an example of when we've done better. This church, First UU, helped to form the Austin Sanctuary Network. 
And from the beginning, that sanctuary network has centered in its leadership folks most affected by our inhumane immigration system. That's collective liberation. Collective liberation theology moves us from paternalism to proximity. Well, finally, I believe that our faith is strong enough, our underlying theology powerful enough, that it can sustain us through the discomfort in which we will have to dwell at times in our journey toward transformation. Discomfort? What in the world is Reverend Chris going on about now? Go with me for just a moment into some discomfort that exists right here within this here very church. We have had a lot of surveys, listening sessions, and the like in the church over the last couple of years, haven't we? We have. I agree. And there's more coming. Sorry. Well, some themes around where we feel discomfort sometimes have occasionally emerged. For instance, we want First UU to be a strong force for justice in our world, and we have some discomfort talking about politics in church. Now, as you know, A lot of what happens regarding justice or injustice is enacted through legislation or through court rulings, both of which are driven by politics. So while we are prohibited from supporting political candidates or parties, we must move through any discomfort around justice-related political issues, whether in church or in the public arena. I can assure you that our fundamentalist faith counterparts have no such discomfort. And further, further, given the need for revolutionary change that Denez Smith proclaims in their poem, and given that far too often our political choices these days seem to be between regressivism at worst and painfully slow incrementalism at best, we will need even more than political engagement. We will need more than protests and marches. We will be required to dream of new societal systems and structures and to begin living them out sometimes in rebellious ways within our daily lives. And that can be extremely uncomfortable for those of us for whom the current systems provide some privilege. As author and activist Orandati Roy says of war, colorful demonstrations and weekend marches are vital, but alone are not powerful enough to stop wars. Wars will be stopped only when soldiers refuse to fight, when workers refuse to load weapons onto ships and aircraft, when people boycott the economic outpost of empire that are strung across the globe. UU theologian and one of my favorite people, Sharon Welch, applies this to the many aspects of our lives in her book, 
after the protests are heard. She writes that we must notice the ways our everyday decisions already create more justice. And though that awareness may sometimes bring discomfort, changing even small acts in our daily lives, as our reading earlier described, germinate seeds of hope and transformation. Here are some of Denez Smith's thoughts on that hope. Hope is hard. But I have it. I look at my students' hands and imagine all that they will mother. Christ, oh name I was raised to pray to. Oh Allah, sweet Lord of my father. Oh all you gods of the homies and all the gods of strangers. Work together. Build us into tools to build anything other than this world. Make us so that we may make us a world we can be grateful for and not grateful in spite of. Let us not be idle or stunned by fear. Let us not be so comfortable that we ignore another's grieving instead of ending what makes her grieve. Let us not be scared of the work because it's hard. Let us move the mountain because the mountain must be Moved. My beloveds, rooted in faith, we can move the mountain. Sustained by a theology of liberation for us all, every single last one of us, now, now, We're talking about a revolution. May that be so. Amen. Please join me in reading the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. As we go out into our world now, may you carry with you a sense of the great river of love that flows through our universe and through each of us. A revolutionary love that moves us towards equity, justice, and the realization of the beloved community. May you also carry with you the love of this religious community until we are gathered again. May the congregation say amen Amen. and blessed be. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.